Our scripture reading for today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The word of the Lord. Our guest speaker today is Pastor Dave Lee. Pastor Dave grew up in New Jersey, where he received a BA in Biblical Studies from Somerset Christian College. Thereafter, he spent four years studying at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Upon graduation, Pastor Dave joined Covenant Fellowship Church and has served as their associate and youth pastor from 2013 through 2021. Please welcome Pastor Dave Lee. Good morning. I want to thank uh, Pastor Dave and Graceway for inviting my family to worship with you this morning. Um, my wife, Joanne, attended Graceway for 10 years before I stole her away. Um, she considers Graceway her home away from home. And so again, a thank you for inviting our family here this morning. Uh, with that bit of introduction, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are who you always have been, your God, there is none like you, none besides you. And today you invite your children to come before you and remind us that we are not coming here to listen to some lecture or a seminar, but you, O oh Father, speak to your children. You delight to speak to your children. And so remind us of what honor this is, that we don't come merely as guests, but we come as your sons and daughters. And so, Lord, we ask for your Spirit's help to help us understand the things that you have written down for us. And may we here, Graceway, join all the saints all over the world worshiping you, for you alone are worthy of all our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Randy, a Christian man, made his living as a painter. One day, the church asked Randy to restore its biggest building on the property. Randy bought the paint, but trying to cut back on cost, he thinned the paint with water. He diluted it. Randy was painting away, the job nearly completed, when suddenly there was a clap 
a thunder. The sky opened, the rain poured down, it washed the thin paint off the church. Randy fell on his face and concluded that this was a judgment from the God Almighty. And so Randy raised his voice to the heavens saying, oh God, forgive me, what should I do? And from above, a mighty voice roared, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. I share that silly little anecdote um, because I want to ask this question. How many of us are like Randy? We're, we're Christians, and, and yet there are times in our lives when we try to cut corners in our faith. Or, or let me put it this way. As we look back on this past week, how many of us can say that everything I did as a husband, as a wife, as a father or mother, as a child, as a student, everything I did, I did, with, I did it with God in mind. And I bring this up because we're going to see in today's text a man who forgets about God. He gets ahead of God. Abram fails to remember God, and as a result, he gets himself entangled up in this mess. But we're also going to see that God does not fail to remember Abram and restores him to his faith. And so here's the gospel truth for us this morning. The gospel truth is a one-sentence summary. When we fail to remember God, he does not fail to remember us and is faithful to restore us to our faith. Let me repeat that for us. When we fail to remember God, he does not fail to remember us and is faithful to restore us to our faith. And I have three points for us this morning. The famine, the forgotten God, the faithful God. Let's look at the first point, the famine. I'm going to briefly sum up the portion of today's chapter that we didn't read. God called Abram out of her out of Haran, to settle in Canaan. And so Abram, in faith, he responds to this call. He migrates. He leaves his family and sets out for Canaan. And he arrives and he's settled in Canaan. And we have to keep in mind that this isn't an uninhabited land. He's in the heart of pagan country. And as he's getting acclimated and adjusted, we read that he's going around, setting up altars and calls upon the name of the Lord. What a great witness. A faithful witness, the Lord calls, Abram responds. The Lord promises, Abram believes. The Lord appears, and Abram worships. But then we get to verse 10, and this is what we read. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Famine in the land of promise? Wait, hold up. Was it not God who called Abram? Was it not God who had given this land to Abram? How could this be? You know, in a sense, Abram has made it. He's arrived. And so what we'd expect next is flourishing, not famine. We'd expect a life-enhancing situation, not a life-endangering situation. But that's not what we read here in today's text. Now, this famine would make sense if Abram had been disobedient. But Abram, up to this point, has been obedient. He is walking in God's ways. And to this man, God sends a famine. Not too long ago, my family encountered a situation where we had to leave our home. We live in a town called Maplewood, and something came up where we had to relocate, uh, just for a little bit. Nothing life-threatening, I don't wanna give, you, give off that impression. But long story short, we had to migrate down to Egypt. 
And by Egypt, I mean my in-laws. <laughs> but just so there isn't any misunderstanding, I love my in-laws. I enjoy staying with my in-laws. And, and my in-laws are very Egypt-like in the sense that they always have an abundance of food. And as a matter of fact, every time we share a meal, we feast like kings. Royalty. I'm talking about lobster, sushi, king crab legs, steak for breakfast. That's <laughs> the meals that they provide me. Now, before I feast, I had this ritual. I'm not talking about prayer. I take out my phone and I'll snap a picture of it and send it to all my friends. This all the time. And one of the people I often snap a picture to is my friend James. And his response is always the same. When he gets my picture, he sees the feast, he'll say, bro, truly the Lord has shown favor. <laughs> but I wonder, what if one day I'm at my in-laws and I snap a picture of vegetables? Would he respond the same way? No, of course not. He'd probably say, did you sin? <laughs> right? What's going on? Is everything okay? Now, we could all relate to this, can't we? Wouldn't you agree that we often correlate blessings from God, but not famines or sufferings or trials? We tend to think that it's in those times that God is not with us. It's in those times that we question, did I do something wrong? Maybe we start questioning God's presence. Lord, do you see what's going on in my life? Where are you? But today's text forces us to think about trials in a different way. Because you see, the cause of this famine was not Abram's sin, nor was it God removing his presence. The famine happened before Abram went down to Egypt. The famine didn't happen because he left the promised land, no. The famine happened and then he went down to Egypt. But before the famine, Abram had been moving from altar to altar, calling upon the name of the Lord. Abram, up to this point, has been showing tremendous courage and commitment of faith. And so this famine can't be because of Abram's disobedience. This wasn't punishment. This can't be because God was mad or disappointed with Abram. And if this is true, then this text shows us that Christians, even the best Christians, aren't exempt from trials and sufferings. If anything... This text serves us to show that Christians should expect trials and sufferings. But what purpose does it serve? I want you to imagine you have a Saturday to spend with your kids. You take your son to the park, you ride your bikes, you play, you play catch, just quality father-son time. And afterwards, you take him to McDonald's to grab lunch, buy him a happy meal. On your way home, you look in the rearview mirror, and he's looking back at you, and he says, Dad, yes, yeah, son? I think you're the best dad in the whole world. Your heart just melts. And so upon hearing that, instead of going home, you take a detour to Chuck E. Cheese where you spend more time with your son. You spoil him. You love him. Now as you head home, you pull out a sheet of paper and you hand it to him. And he opens it. And he's confused because on the sheet of paper is a list with the following. No video games during the week. No TV during the week. No computer unless it's for school. No staying up past nine. Take out the trash, do the dishes. And your boy says, Dad, I'm confused. Did I do something wrong? And you respond, you may not understand this now, but one day you'll get what I'm doing. I'm teaching you responsibilities. I'm teaching you discipline. I'm teaching you not to be lazy. What is this father doing? He's raising his son. 
He's teaching his son life lessons. He's preparing him for the real world. The boy will not understand everything, but ultimately, it's for his good. But suddenly, this boy is filled with anger, bitterness, and resentment. And he has completely forgotten about the wonderful day he had with his father. Now, in the same way, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that this is true. How rich and full was it when we first accepted Christ? But after some time, we come into this spiritual winter. We find ourselves in the desert. There's a famine. There's a famine of peace, a famine of purpose, a famine of joy. And these famines will do either one of two things. We, like the little boy, will end up angry, frustrated, disappointed, and extremely bitter. Because we often think that these inconveniences, sufferings, trials are incompatible with God's love. Or it will sober us up and test our foundation. Do I trust God even when I don't understand my circumstances? And church, maybe it's been a while since you faced a trial. Praise God for that. But also praise God when the trials do come. For this is the very means God uses to mold us into the image of Christ. And someone has put it this way. The Christian life is often not a fortress, but a furnace. Not a vacation, but a vocation. Not a rest, but a wrestling. Can you identify with that? You see, this famine wasn't meant for Abram to lean on his own understandings. The famine wasn't primarily meant to drive Abram down to Egypt. It was meant to drive him to his knees. The famine wasn't primarily so Abram can focus on the feeding of his stomach, but on the feeding of his soul. The famine was not meant for death, but for dependence. Not for tragedy, but for trusting. No, if you're a believer, you have to own up to this. In this world, you will have tribulations. This is a message for the believer. You know, there will be times when you're following him, you're wrestling for his blessings, and you'll end up with a famine. But do realize that God gives us this famine into our hearts to drive us back again and again in total childlike dependency on him. He's making us dependent on himself with times of sufferings. God sends us famine so that we can learn to feed off of God and God alone. Now, if this is true, our times of famine, they don't come by chance. That's what God repeatedly does with Abraham. This is what he does with the elect, the chosen. Church, do the famines of your life drive you to the Lord? Unfortunately, this famine did not drive Abram to the Lord, which leads us to our second point, the forgotten God. Now, when we think of Abraham or Abram, we tend to highlight his faith, how he left or how he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. We admire him. We respect him. But here we come across a story of how he almost messed things up. Our text says in verse 10, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. He left the promised land. He left Bethel. He left the house of God. Why? He needed to find a way to feed his family, his livestock from this famine. So he did the most logical thing, the most sensible thing. And we see that this move was only the beginning of his problem. 
because we see in the very next verse the heart of his problem. This is what we read in verse 11 and following. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, it's obvious what's taking place, isn't it? Abram knows that his wife is beautiful. He's about to enter into a pagan nation. They don't fear God. They don't know him. It's a dog-eat-dog world. And Abram isn't dumb. They're going to take notice of his wife, take her, and then kill him. Unless we give them a reason not to kill me. If you tell them that I am your brother, then perhaps they will treat me with favor. Sarah, you are my get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, I'm sure Abram, in the back of his mind, had it all mapped out. We'll go into Egypt. We'll buy ourselves some times. We'll stall for, we'll stall for time to exploit suitors. But I'm not going to actually give you away. No, we'll dine and dash. You know, Abram had all his exit strategies in place. Now, we could make the argument that Abram was being shrewd here. Perhaps this wasn't a sign of faithlessness but perhaps he was trying to help God. After all, God's glory is at stake here. Because if something were to happen to Abram, that would be the end of the covenant. That would be the end of the promise. God's promise dies with Abram. So maybe in the back of his mind, he was thinking, I'll help God. God, I'll do whatever it takes to survive. Better defiled than dead. I'll sin now and ask for forgiveness later for your glory, God. But there's a problem with Abram's plan. This is what we read in verses 14 and 15. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh-oh. So much for stalling time. The Egyptians look at Sarai, and they like what they see. And they take her straight into Pharaoh's house. And just like that, Abram's plan becomes undone. He suddenly tangled up in his own plan. He must be feeling sick to his stomach. They took his wife. But wait, at least they didn't kill him. As a matter of fact, verse 16, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, so on and so forth. Abram becomes rich, filthy rich. Now, when we read that verse, it really doesn't make sense to us. There's no wow factor. You know, big deal, he's acquired some animals. No, 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 no. He's acquired so much more. He has servants, male servants, female servants, at his beckoning call. But he also had female donkeys and camels, which one commentator points out, they were the transportation of choice. The female donkeys were probably equivalent to today's Mercedes Benzes. Pharaoh was giving Abram Benzes, not just one, but plural. And camels, those were rare in those days. Camels are your Rolls Royce, or your Teslas. Essentially, he had traded his wife for some really nice cars. <laughs> now, maybe there's some husbands thinking, wow, Abram is so lucky. <laughs> Pharaoh got suckered. Pharaoh got played. Abram got the deal of his life. But all kidding aside, he went from famine to fortune at what cost? It cost him his wife. In essence, he was saying, you have my permission to prostitute yourself in order to save my life. Your life for mine, your safety for my safety, your purity for my protection. 
and I'll take you back and we'll go back to Canaan and everything will be well. Abram should have protected his wife, but he uses her. And as a husband, you can't go any lower than this. You can't sink any lower than this. Abram wasn't trying to help God. He was trying to help himself. Abram wasn't concerned with God's glory. He was concerned about his own life. We're talking about Abraham. He's celebrated as the father of many nations. Our children sing songs about him. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. That's a song we grew up with. That song could easily have been faithless Abraham had many slaves, and many slaves had faithless Abraham, all because he prostituted his wife. Right arm, left arm. That could have been the song that our children would have been singing. Graceway, this is a sad picture. Abram is in a horrible place. And from a human perspective, this man that God has chosen nearly shipwrecks his calling. But I don't think it's because Abram lacked faith. This isn't a matter of trust. Abram did trust God. He left his home. He left his kindred. This has nothing to do with denying God or abandoning God. Notice, he doesn't go back to Ur. He doesn't call it quits. He doesn't say, God, you know, I tried following you, but clearly I made a mistake. He doesn't renounce his faith, no. But herein lies the problem. It all started with a famine. And this famine, understandably, had created the fear of starvation. And Abram then instinctively moves down to Egypt, not in rebellion, not in defiance, not in lack of faith, but he moves down to Egypt and there is no mention of God. It, it almost seems as though the author is telling us that Abram didn't seek God's will. Abram moved practically, but not spiritually. Not that these two things are always mutually exclusive. Abram reacted instinctively, not prayerfully. You know, I read a quote by Kevin DeYoung not too long ago where he says this, sin is always an act of spiritual amnesia. Sin is always an act of spiritual amnesia. And this couldn't be any truer in Abram's circumstance. He didn't deny God. He simply forgot about him. He forgot how great God was. He forgot who God was. He marginalized God. He put God on the sidelines. He doesn't ask direction from the Lord. And, and his problem is really our problem, isn't it? Don't we often do this? How many of us can say that God is at the center of all the decisions that we make? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, don't we move down to Egypt because of finance? Don't we move to Egypt because it's better for our children? Don't we move to Egypt to secure ourselves a better future? But here's a question I really want to ask this morning. How many of us with the intentions of sojourning in Egypt, actually end up staying in Egypt? How many of us have declared Egypt our permanent residence? You know, when was the last time you went to God and asked him, Lord, where do you want me to be? Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, where do you want me to serve? Lord, how do you want me to use my vacation days? Lord, where do you want me to be a blessing? For honest with ourselves, 
our decisions are navigated and guided by practical, natural, logic, logical steps. Again, not because we don't trust God. Not because we don't worship God. Not because we're trying to disobey God. But often it's simply because we forget about God. God is a footnote in our story. He's an asterisk. Now, I'm not saying don't take care of your finances or try to secure yourselves a better future. These are good things. I'm sure when you make these moves, they are with good intentions. But look at what happened to Abram. He was looking for a way to provide for his family. Good intentions that resulted in him having everything but the favor of God and his wife. Abram, the man of the land of promise, became the man in the land of compromise. The whole thing turns into a tragic nightmare. What grief must have come to his heart? Here's Abram now in the company of servants, sheep, goats, donkeys, camels. He looks around and it's the evidence that everything he has is because of Sarai, just as he wished. But while he had everything, there must have been an emptiness in Abram's heart as he wondered what happened to his wife, wondering if he'll ever see his wife again, wondering if she'll ever be his wife again. How in the world did Abram get disentangled? And this leads us to our third point, God's faithfulness. There was no way Abram could have gotten out of this mess on his own. What was he going to do? Was he now going to tell Pharaoh the truth? Pharaoh, um, you know how I said earlier that Sarah is my sister? Well, technically, I wasn't lying. She's my half-sister, but she's also my wife. He couldn't do that. Not at this point. That's an immediate death sentence. But fortunately for Abram, and really for us, the story doesn't end in verse 16. This is what we read in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Catch the first three words in the verse 17. But the Lord. That phrase, but the Lord, is the key to understanding this text. Because this is really what it's all about. This is who it's all about. This is the climax the Lord intervenes. The Lord comes into the picture. Abram had forgotten the Lord, but the Lord forgot him not. Abram had sojourned in Egypt, but the Lord will save him from Egypt. Abram had overlooked his God, but the Lord did not overlook his servant. You know, what a wonderful picture of God being mighty to save. But it's so much more than God rescuing Abraham. Now, this is not just the redemption of Abraham. This is God preserving his covenant for his children, all of his children. It's about your preservation, my preservation. Because it's not despite Abram, but through Abram that God's long historical redemptive promise salvation will come to pass. And so here's the question we need to ask. How does God intervene? Pharaoh is afflicted to the point where he knows something's up. We're not sure how he finds out, but regardless, he finds out the truth. And this is what we read starting in verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. What an embarrassment. 
Abram, just a few verses ago, was going around setting up altar after altar, calling upon the name of the Lord. But here in Egypt, not once did he call upon the name of the Lord. What a terrible witness. And it's a pagan who calls him out. It's a pagan who rebukes him. He's reprimanded by an unbeliever. How embarrassing. And so he sheepishly leaves Egypt with his tail between his legs. He doesn't utter one word. This whole trip is a colossal failure from Abram's side. And yet, from God's side, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness. Notice how Pharaoh doesn't ask Abram to return to gifts. Rather, he commands his men to escort Abram and his wife along with all of their possessions. Just when things looked hopeless for Abram, God intervenes and takes care of everything. The, the story ends on a good note, but it's not entirely resolved because we're left with this question. How? Why was God faithful to Abram when Abram forgot God? Didn't Abram deserve to be afflicted? How can God be faithful to us when we're unfaithful? Don't we deserve to be plagued? Don't we deserve to be afflicted? And the answer is yes. We absolutely and fully deserve it. But in a strange turn of events, he plagues Pharaoh. I just want to make one thing clear. Pharaoh deserved to be plagued from God. It's not like Pharaoh was innocent and he didn't deserve judgment. It's not like God placed Abram's sin on Pharaoh. No, Pharaoh wasn't a substitute for Abram. Both Pharaoh and Abram deserved to be plagued. And so there's this tension. How does God resolve this conflict? Here's how. God will one day send another prophet. And this prophet doesn't sojourn down to Egypt, but he comes from heaven down to earth. And he comes because he sees his bride enslaved, entangled in the depths of their sins. He sees his church in bondage, in captivity, in slavery. And although God would have been perfectly just to leave us in captivity, because of his great love for us, because God is jealous for his people, he sends his son. And as Abram was given an offer for his wife, so too Christ was given an offer. You could have all the glory. You could have all the riches without going to the cross. But Christ knew that the only way he could ransom his son or ransom his people was through the cross. And the only reason God bypasses Abram, the only reason God bypasses our sins, is because he did not bypass his son. God plagued his son for the curse and punishment of your sin so that you can be free. Christ took the plague. And on the cross, he says, my life for yours. My safety for yours. He bore it all. And we're free to find hope again and again in our Savior. We are not only set free from sin, but we share in all of Christ's inheritance. Everything that Christ has earned is ours. What amazing love. What incomprehensible love. Have you ever tasted that love? Or have you forgotten? Have you been in Egypt way too long? Have you lost touch with God? Church, Christ has earned the right through his suffering 
to bring you back? Will you trust his faithfulness? You treasure his faithfulness. May God's grace only draw you into a deeper devotion to our faithful Father. And when you give in to sin or start to doubt, remember, but the Lord, he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your presence. You are not a distant God. You are not a God who is waiting for us to mess up, but you're a God who draws near, a God who delights to forgive, to bring us into your fold. And so, Lord, remind us that Abram's hope is our hope, that we have a God who loves to forgive, who loves to be with his people, who is faithful to his promise to the end. When we doubt, Lord, point us to the cross where we see your son plagued for our plagues, where he suffered the ultimate suffering for our sake, where we now have the riches of Christ while he was stripped abandoned and broken on that cross for us. Lord, what a beautiful gospel. There is no God like you, no God who would come down to earth, take our place and die for us. Lord, every waking morning may we be filled with that hope, filled with that promise. Remind us that you are faithful to it. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.